Welcome to eBible Fellowship's Sunday Bible Study. For broadcast times in your area of these studies, visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com. And now it's time to begin our Sunday study with your speaker, Chris McCann. Hello and welcome to eBible Fellowship Sunday Afternoon Bible Study. Today is study number 28 of Jeremiah chapter 50. And we're going to be reading verses 43 through 46. Jeremiah 50, verse 43. The king of Babylon has heard the report of them, and his hands wax feeble. Anguish took hold of him, and pangs as of a woman in travail. Behold, he shall come up like a lion from the swelling of Jordan unto the habitation of the strong. But I will make them suddenly run away from her. And who is a chosen man that I may appoint over her? For who is like me, and who will appoint me the time? And who is that shepherd that will stand before me? Therefore hear ye the counsel of Jehovah, that he has taken against Babylon, and his purposes that he has purposed against the land of the Chaldeans. Surely the least of the flock shall draw them out. Surely he shall make their habitation desolate with them. At the noise of the taking of Babylon, the earth is moved, and the cry is heard among the nations. And I'll stop reading there. That that does take us to the end of the chapter. But right now we're in verse 43. And verse 43 says again, The king of Babylon has heard the report of them, and his hands wax feeble. Anguish took hold of him, and pangs as of a woman in travail. Well, um, as we've been going through Jeremiah 50, we've seen throughout the um, course of the chapter that the army that God raises up, and he's mentioned this several times, is an army of true believers. It's the elect people of God. And when they come against Babylon... It is picturing Judgment Day and the time when Christ comes with ten thousands of his saints. And that's where we're at in time right now. We are living on the earth in the day of judgment. It is Judgment Day. God is judging the world through his word. And believers are a part of that judgment in a couple of different ways. One... God uses us as a weapon in the sense that he has saved all the elect. And it is that fact that he has saved everyone who was to become saved that has allowed God to shut the door of heaven and put out the gospel light and so forth, which is the punishment of mankind or part of the spiritual punishment. Man will be punished even further on the very last day of Judgment Day when God destroys them completely and annihilates the unsaved people of the earth. But a big part of his judgment is a spiritual judgment in which man lives in a world wherein there is no possibility of salvation. And and so God's people, uh, as being complete, well, that that is like an instrument of wrath in the hands of God. And secondly, 
the Lord's people share the word of God that declares these things. And as God's word says that there is no more salvation, as true believers share that, well, that also is participating in the judgment process that God has established for this time period. And and that's what's in view when we read of armies coming against Babylon. Uh, uh, let, let me read, for instance, from verse 41 of Jeremiah 50. Behold, a people shall come from the north, and a great nation, and many kings shall be raised up from the coasts of the earth. They shall hold the bow and the lance. They are cruel and will not show mercy. Their voice shall roar like the sea, and they shall ride upon horses. Everyone put in array like a man to the battle against thee, O daughter of Babylon. Now, recently, um, I, I've been having some trouble understanding a verse here in Jeremiah 50. It's verse 44. It's a very difficult verse and hard to understand. And so I uh, referred to Mr. Camping's study in Jeremiah 50. And I had the chance to listen to some of what he was teaching previously concerning this army, the, the people that comes from the north and a great nation, many kings are raised up. And Mr. Camping was teaching in um, Jeremiah 50 study that he did years ago that this great army of kings are the true believers. And he recognized that they were coming in judgment. But the difference between what Mr. Camping was teaching then and what E-Bible is teaching now is that he believed that their judgment or the way that the elect, the kings that are raised up, would be involved in the judgment was at the time of the rapture. And you may remember that that was a common teaching of Mr. Camping that May 21, 2011 would end the Great Tribulation. That was correct. And that would be the beginning of Judgment Day. That was correct. And then on that day, all the believers would be caught up and and go into heaven. And God would use the rapture of all the elect as an instrument of judgment, as a means of judging the unsaved people. And, and so um, now due to our vantage point, of living after the tribulation, as the Great Tribulation concluded on May 21, 2011, and being able to go back to the Bible and and look with fresh eyes with the information that, well, um, the Bible indicates that was Judgment Day. The Bible indicates the Great Tribulation ended there. And obviously... Here we are, the people of God. No one was raptured. We're still in the world, living at the time after the tribulation of Judgment Day. And and then we can go back to a passage like this and see, well, yes, the language still fits true believers. You, we can't miss it. A people shall come from the north, that is, God's elect that are saved and come out of Babylon, 
a great nation. Remember, God saved the great multitude out of the great tribulation. And many kings shall be raised up from the coast of the earth. And the language of many kings points to true believers who are prophets, priests, and kings. Well, I, I thought that was interesting. We're, we're right on target. As we go to the Bible, as believers go to the Bible, and we, we compare spiritual with spiritual, and we try to make sure our conclusions harmonize, we should expect to find similar conclusions. And it, it's only the idea of the rapture. And why did Mr. Camping, and why did we, and why did all theologians think, well, that there will be the rapture, and, and God's people will not be on on the earth or or uh, where the wicked are at the time God is judging them, and and that has been the common teaching of just about everybody of all theologians throughout history, and it it was just not opened up to our understanding at, that it has always been God's plan to bring both through the fire of the period of Judgment Day, the saved and the unsaved, the gold, silver, precious stones, and the wood, hay, stubble, to try his people. Now we we look at the Bible and we find numerous passages that teach that very thing. And I, I've pointed this out before, but let me just turn to Isaiah chapter 24. Isaiah 24. And uh, it's a chapter that cannot be mistaken for anything but a description of the judgment of this world. And it says in verse 6 of Isaiah 24, Therefore hath the curse devoured the earth, and they that dwell therein are desolate. Therefore the inhabitants of the earth are burned, and few men left. And we we would just be uh, scratching our heads constantly scratching our heads wondering what it could that mean where where the language is judgment day and it it fits everything that the bible says about judgment day and and yet god adds that little statement at the end where the inhabitants of the earth are burned. All right, well, that's everyone, right? Except, and few men left. There, there's a little exception there, that they're not burned, they're, they're left. Why are these few men left? And who are those few men? Many are called, few are chosen. They are God's chosen people, the elect. And... And they are left therein. And just as Zechariah 13 tells us, and it says in Zechariah 13, beginning in verse 8, And shall come to pass that in all the land, or earth, as that word can also be translated, saith Jehovah, two parts therein shall be cut off and die, but the third shall be left therein. And I will bring the third part through the fire, and will refine them as silver is refined, and will try them as gold is tried. 
They shall call on my name, and I will hear them. I will say, It is my people. And they shall say, Jehovah is my God. That, that's saying exactly what Isaiah 24, 6 just said, except in different language. And, and that's just a small sampling of Scripture that indicates this incredible truth that we now are fully aware of that God's people are left on the earth in the time of judgment and with with that additional understanding just that just that one bit of information it sheds light on all kinds of passages that we previously had thought well uh, it, it it couldn't refer to believers because they won't be there it it we had that ingrained in our minds it it clouded our thinking when we looked at these kinds of passages we immediately thought well it must be the rapture or or something else because believers cannot be on the earth in the time of judgment that we didn't think that was a possibility and yet the Bible insists that is the case. And and so anyway, there's an interesting thing here in Jeremiah 50 concerning this people, this great nation, the many kings that are coming against Babylon. Remember, that's what the end of verse 42 said. They shall ride upon horses, everyone put in array, like a man to the battle against the O daughter of Babylon. That is the elect coming against the world called Babylon because the king of Babylon typifies Satan and the, and, and he rules over a kingdom of Babylon and, and that would be the world that Satan ruled over. And of course at the time of judgment day that as part of Babylon is the church because the church was conquered by Satan. Well, as this great army of kings, of true believers, comes against Babylon, this world, in the day of judgment. It's interesting that the king of Babylon, we read in verse 43, has heard the report of them and his hands wax feeble. Now, here's, uh, I think, um, confirmation, absolute confirmation, that this army is... God's elect. It has been suggested that perhaps the army is false prophets. And I think this is just a leftover um, idea that, that is coming from the mindset that Babylon was the church. And we do know that that it was Satan and his emissaries, false prophets, that God used to come against the church. But this is judgment day. It's not judgment now only on the church. It's judgment on the whole world. God utilized false prophets, Satan's emissaries, to destroy the church. But he doesn't do that for the world. He uses his people. And we can know for sure that it's not false prophets in view because the king of Babylon hears the report of them, and his hands wax feeble, and anguish took hold of him, and pangs as of a woman in travail. Can you see Satan, 
who is typified by the king of Babylon, having this kind of reaction because an army of false prophets were coming? Well, no, of course not. Satan rules over the army of false prophets. They are his emissaries. Why would the report of them, if if indeed they were false prophets, um, why would his hands wax feeble and anguish take hold of him and pangs as of a woman in travail? Now, it's true that here the king of Babylon is a figurehead representing all Babylon, all the world, all the unsaved, but still it specifically names the king of Babylon, Satan, as being troubled by the report of this army. And there's no way, absolutely no way, that it could have to do with false prophets. But on the other hand, once we understand that this is referring to the completion of God's salvation program, and and his having saved all whose names were written in the Lamb's Book of Life, and it is speaking of Judgment Day itself, the day of the wrath of God, and God's people are carrying the message of that Judgment Day, well, then, yes, we, we can see the reaction of Satan, the reaction of all within Babylon, concerning that report. And it says in Jeremiah fifty forty three, the king of Babylon has heard the report of them and his hands wax feeble. In our last study, we looked a little bit at waxed feeble and we saw how that is found in several places related to Judgment Day. I'll just go back to Isaiah chapter 13. Isaiah 13 And verse 6 says, How ye, for the day of Jehovah is at hand, it shall come as a destruction from the Almighty. Therefore shall all hands be faint. And right there, the word faint is the same Hebrew word translated wax feeble. And so we could read it that way. Therefore shall all hands wax feeble. And notice how it's all hands And how did Isaiah chapter 13 begin? Back in verse 1, the burden of Babylon. So all the hands of Babylon wax feeble. And and that helps us to understand that when we're reading in Jeremiah 50, 43, that the king of Babylon's hands wax feeble, that he is the figure, the representative of all Babylon and Really, uh, God is indicating this is true of all the unsafe people in the world. Therefore shall all hands be faint or wax feeble, and every man's heart shall melt, and they shall be afraid. Pangs and sorrow shall take hold of them. They shall be in pain as a woman that travaileth. They shall be amazed one at another. Their faces shall be as flames. And uh, that's typical use of this word wax feeble. But what does that mean? What does it mean that all hands shall wax feeble? We can tell it's a very bad thing, but we wonder what does it mean uh, specifically, or 
Or does the Bible give any kind of definition to what it is to wax feeble? Well, let's look at a few places. In Job chapter 4, Job 4, and Job is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ as he is undergoing the wrath of God. And so it says in Job 4, in verse 3, and this um, speaker is Eliphaz the Temanite, Behold, thou hast instructed many, and he's, he's speaking to Job, and thou hast strengthened the weak hands. The, the weak hands here is the idea of, of, of feeble, the hands wax feeble. In verse 4, thy words have upholden him that was falling, and thou hast strengthened the feeble knees. But now it has come upon thee, and thou faintest, it touches thee, and thou art troubled. And the idea here is that Job, or Christ, has in time past strengthened weak hands and strengthened feeble knees. And let's just keep that in mind. As we go to Isaiah 35, Isaiah 35, and beginning in verse 3, Strengthen ye the weak hands, and confirm the feeble knees. Say to them that are of a fearful heart, Be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, even God with a recompense. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap as a heart, and the tongue of the dumb sing. For in the wilderness shall waters break out, and streams in the desert. This is fairly typical language of some of the wonderful passages in Isaiah that point to God's magnificent salvation plan as he would save his people from their sins, and strengthening the weak hands and confirming the feeble knees is language indicating salvation. He will come and save you. And so we can understand that for one's hands to wax feeble means no salvation. Oh, oh, and, and by the way, the, the word weak that we found in, uh, Isaiah 35 and Job is Strong's number 7504. Feeble is 7503. They're, they're closely related words. And it carries the same idea. Now, let's go to the New Testament in Hebrews chapter 12. And in verse 11, through 13. Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down in the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed. And and now I think we can understand what God is saying here that when he says, lift up the hands that hang down in the feeble knees. It, it's really using that 
illustration from the Old Testament in Isaiah 35 and even in Job of someone who is strengthened in their weak hands and strengthened in their feeble needs. And it points to salvation. And we have confirmation of this with the uh, the New Testament, the Greek word translated as feeble, which is Strong's number 3886, is also translated as palsy in Luke chapter 5. Let me turn over to Luke 5, and I'm going to read from uh, verse 18 and several verses from there. Luke 5:18, And behold, men brought in a bed a man which was taken with a palsy, and they sought means to bring him in and to lay him before him. And when they could not find by what way they might bring him in because of the multitude, they went upon the housetop and led him down through the tiling with his couch into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said unto him, Man, thy sins are forgiven thee. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this which speaketh blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answering said unto them, What reason ye in your hearts? Whether it is easier to say, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Rise up and walk? But that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power upon earth to forgive sins. He said unto the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, Arise and take up thy couch, and go into thine house. That is, he said unto the sick of the feeble, the, the palsy, Arise, take up your couch. And so, it, if he could not walk, it means his knees were strengthened. And his feeble knees. And then he rose and walked. And what did that show? It showed the power to forgive sins. And this man had his sins forgiven. Christ did that first. Man, thy sins be forgiven thee. And that's what being healed of feeble knees or fee- or strengthen of feeble hands points to salvation. And conversely, that when we find, as we do in Jeremiah 50, that the king of Babylon has heard the report of them and his hands wax feeble, and keep in mind Isaiah 13, 8, which I think we have to read in order to fully understand this verse in Jeremiah 50 and Isaiah 13, 7. Therefore shall all hands wax feeble, and every man's heart shall melt. And if all hands are waxing feeble, there is none strengthening them. There is no salvation. Yes, it comes back to that again. God, in this statement, is driving home the very same point that that he keeps driving home in many different ways in uh, this chapter of Jeremiah 50 and, and in many places in the Bible, that Judgment Day is a time when salvation has ended. And the the people of God are bringing that message against Babylon, against this world. And it, it is causing this 
terrible reaction. It goes on to say, his hands wax feeble in uh, Jeremiah fifty forty three. Anguish took hold of him, and pangs as of a woman in travail. Now the Hebrew word translated as pangs is also translated as pain. And we read this in Isaiah 13. And uh, I'll read it again. We were just there, but let me read it one more time. In Isaiah chapter 13, verse 8. And they shall be afraid. Pangs and sorrow shall take hold of them. They shall be in pain. That's the same word as our verse in Jeremiah. They shall be in pain as a woman that travaileth. They shall be amazed at one another. Their faces shall be as flames. And so, again, it relates to the judgment of God and the time of the pouring out of his wrath. It will bring about a situation with the people of the world, whereas they're in pain as of a woman in travail. Now, again, we have to keep in mind this is spiritual language. It's not to be taken literally. We're, we're not to think all the people of the world are in pain because of judgment, even though, um, to a large degree, with the news, the news, and, and this is speaking of the report that was heard by the king of Babylon, and, and practically all the people of the world heard this report of the approaching day of judgment of uh, May 21, 2011. And, and certainly that, that brought great anguish and trouble of mind to all the unsaved people of the world. And, and God relates this to Judgment Day also in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. In a passage I think we're familiar with in 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 1. But of the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. And and there again, it's speaking of the day of judgment, and, and God says, when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them, as travail upon a woman with child. It's actually a fairly typical picture that God gives concerning judgment day, when we read of a woman in travail, it's often related to the time of the end and the the time when God pours out his wrath upon the people of the world and the condition of the world is likened to a woman in travail that, as it says here, sudden destruction comes upon them. And of course, uh, that's not a correct reading of sudden destruction. We'll um, correct that in just a minute. But first, let's look at First Thessalonians 5.3 and, and the final statement here. Then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child and they shall not escape. Now the 
the word translated as escape points to salvation. Uh, For instance, in Romans chapter 2, in Romans 2 and verse 3, it says, And thinkest thou this, O man, that judgest them which do such things and doest the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God? To escape would be to be saved. Uh, It's actually clearer in Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews 2 and verse 3. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him? How shall we escape? If we neglect so great salvation, if we neglect salvation, we will not escape. It's only the the ones that God has saved that escape out of Babylon that are able to flee. Uh, As we pointed out before earlier in the study of Jeremiah 50, and it is those people that do not come under the judgment of God. Now, just one other place, and this is how we'll tie it back to sun and destruction, in Luke chapter 21. Luke 21, and beginning in verse 34. It says, And take heed to yourselves, lest any, lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting and drunkenness, and cares of this life, and so that day come upon you unawares. Now this word um, translated unawares is the word translated sudden in First Thessalonians chapter five, and it's the only two places this word is found. And 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 so the translators had the option of translating it unawares, and and um, let me. Turn there for a second. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 3, For when they shall say peace and safety, then unawares destruction cometh upon them, as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. And, uh, of course, they they considered that option as unawares as a better translation than sudden. Uh, It's only because travail upon a woman with child that they decided to translate it as sudden because literally the the Greek word is a compound word that literally means not seen and and so something not seen unaware uh, you're unaware of and and so that's a better uh, definition or or a better translation of the of the idea than sudden sudden is more of a time kind of related word, and yet they chose sudden rather than unawares. And this helped God hide what? A spiritual judgment. A spiritual judgment is not seen destruction. It is an unawares destruction. And that's what God did on May 21, 2011, when he shut the door of heaven. Nobody could see the door while it was open and nobody could see that it was shut now. God put out the light of the gospel 
Well, no one could visibly with their physical eyes see the light of the gospel shining, and they couldn't see with their physical eyesight once it was put out. It was an unawares, not seen destruction. And, and so that's what 1 Thessalonians 5 is speaking of. Well, here back in Luke 21, it, it says, uh, again, concerning the cares of this life, and so that day come upon you unawares, then in verse 35, for as a snare shall it come on all them that dwell on the face of the whole earth. Watch ye therefore and pray always that you may be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. And to escape, again, points to salvation. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? And and here God is speaking to his people and he's indicating that it's going to be a very uh, severe trial of faith and and you'll need to watch and pray and and of course to be accounted worthy to escape would have to do with God having predestinated and chosen a person from the foundation of the world and applied that salvation the redemption that Christ wrought for that person would have had to have been applied through the word of God before God ended his salvation program and shut the door of heaven on May 21, 2011. All right, let's, um, let's go back to Jeremiah 50, Jeremiah 50. And in Jeremiah 50, 44, this is the verse that, uh, is, uh, difficult that I've been having trouble with and I'll read it again behold he shall come up like a lion from the swelling of Jordan unto the habitation of the strong now I think we can understand that the swelling of Jordan is a reference to harvest as it says in the book of Joshua Joshua 3:15 that Jordan overflows her banks all the time of harvest and we do know that God relates the fall of Babylon, its destruction of this world, with harvest. So I think that's not a problem. Some of the language concerning he shall come like a lion, and, and then the switch is made to uh, I will I will make them suddenly run away from her rather than him who was coming like a lion. I think we can even have some understanding of that, but then... It goes on to say, And who is a chosen man that I may appoint over her? For who is like me? And who will appoint me the time? And who is that shepherd that will stand before me? And it, it's just very complicated. And uh, uh, there's a lot going on. So I I haven't been able to understand this. And that's one of the reasons why I started listening to Mr. Camping's Jeremiah 50 study at this point to see if he was able to have any understanding uh, or insight into this verse. And he also said it was a very difficult verse. And then in one study, uh, Mr. Camping 
indicated that he had been uh, given some understanding of what was going on here. Uh, and that's how that study concluded. And then the next study, he would get into it. Well, it turns out the next study jumps to verse 45 that um, in, in the Jeremiah 50 series, uh, Mr. Camping covers verse 43, and then it jumps to verse 45. And I think that probably due to there there was no explanation about verse 44 in the next study, I think Mr. Camping probably did teach something that he at that time thought was a solution to this verse. And then later... Um, realized, well, that's not correct, and and it was removed from the study in order to to be correct and to make correction. And so uh, I suppose that uh, I, I'm just saying this to explain why we're not going to look at this verse now, and and maybe we never will unless the Lord opens up some understanding. Um, to me or to others who can share it with me, I, I just want to, uh, go on to the next verse and sort of, uh, when, when uh, there's a witness on, on trial and testifying and there, there is, um, I think a procedure where you can recall the witness. So that, that's what we're going to do. Um, there's no sense going over this and saying, well, maybe this or maybe that. Uh, if we don't understand, we don't understand. Yet, if we do come to an understanding, we can go back and and then we'll look at this verse. All right, let's go on to verse 45 of Jeremiah 50. Therefore, hear ye the counsel of Jehovah that he has taken against Babylon and his purposes that he has purposed against the land of the Chaldeans. Surely the least of the flock shall draw them out. Surely he shall make their habitation desolate with them. And this is some of the typical language of Judgment Day. To uh, be made desolate indicates the Spirit of God has departed, has removed himself from the world. But what does it mean that surely the least of the flock shall draw them out? Surely he shall make their habitation desolate. And I think the least of the flock and he is referring to the same person, to Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we do know that God speaks of the least in the kingdom of heaven. In Matthew chapter 5, in Matthew 5, in verse 19, it says, Whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments, and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And and this lets us know that one that breaks... The commandments of God shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. In Matthew 11, we read in verse 11, Verily I say unto you, Among them that are born of women, there has not risen a greater than John the Baptist. Notwithstanding, he 
that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And that would be the Lord Jesus Christ. He that is least in the kingdom of God indicates one under the wrath of God. As Matthew 5.19 indicated, you break the least commandment, you're least in the kingdom because you're under God's wrath. If, If you keep the whole law, you'd offend in one point, you're guilty of all. You're condemned by the law of God. And and Christ is least in the kingdom of heaven because he came under the wrath of God for the sins of his people. And and yet, uh, he, he is also greater than all. As it says, he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And it, it wouldn't make any sense that the least, the one who who comes under the wrath of God is greater than the rest, except it were Christ. As we understand that, yes, Jesus did come under the wrath of God, and yes, he is eternal God himself, and certainly the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And it's clear that Christ is the one that's referred to as the least, and we also have that parable of, a grain of mustard seed that is least amongst herbs and, and then it grows up to be the greatest and, and that, um, seed is pointing to Christ. So he is identified as the least in the kingdom, but the greatest. And surely the least of the flock shall draw them out. Well, what, what does it mean that, uh, Christ will draw them out? I think we're helped when we turn to Jeremiah 22, and it says in verse uh, 18 and 19, Therefore thus saith Jehovah concerning Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, they shall not lament for him, saying, Ah, my brother, or Ah, sister. They shall not lament for him, saying, Ah, Lord, or Ah, his glory. He shall be buried with the burial burial of an ass, drawn and cast forth beyond the gates of Jerusalem. And the word drawn is a translation. Uh, it's the same Hebrew word as draw out. And uh, it, it indicates one under God's wrath when uh, you're, you're cast forth, you're drawn and cast forth beyond the gates of Jerusalem. Remember... Uh, in in um, Hebrews 13, we read of the Lord Jesus, and it says in in verse 12, wherefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. Let us go forth therefore unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach. Without the gate is where. Um, you go if you have reproach upon you. And the people of the world have the reproach of their own sin upon them. And God is going to cast them forth. They will be ashamed. They are under his wrath and cursed. And I think that's what's in view here by he shall draw them out, or the least of the flock shall draw them out. Surely he 
shall make their habitation desolate with them. And again, that's Christ in view with the personal pronoun. And, and it is God who has made their habitation or their dwelling place. This world is where Babylon is. Desolate. It, it is, um, again, without the Spirit of God to bring salvation. And then in verse 46, the last verse of Jeremiah 50, it says that the noise of the taking of Babylon, the earth is moved and the cry is heard among the nations. The um, Hebrew word translated as moved is, is a word translated as earthquake. The earth quakes. And the idea of an earthquake in Judgment Day is um, often found together in the Bible. And we do know that a spiritual earthquake took place on May 21, 2011. And so at the, at the noise or at the report of the taking of Babylon, the earth quakes and the cry is heard among the nations. This was not done secretly. It was not done, uh, as the Bible says elsewhere of, of, uh, event of major importance in a corner. It was done very publicly. There was a worldwide proclamation to all the people of the earth. The news was shared and proclaimed and the inhabitants of the world heard. And and uh, the cry is heard among the nations. Thanks for joining us for eBible Fellowship Sunday Bible Study. For more information or to hear additional Bible studies, be sure to visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com.